0: So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Now, that's a principle that God created in creation and runs throughout all creation. Psalm 19, 1, you might be familiar with the, the whole psalm. Hopefully you are. But uh, it's it's uh, a theme that that I had intended to teach on today in the Kingdom of God series, and I just couldn't do the didn't have the tools to do the prep work. But uh, it basically has the theme through it of creation and covenant, creation and covenant. And what we want to look at is how creation is a theme throughout uh, throughout Scripture. When we next pick up the Kingdom of God series today, I'm actually just going to share on a on a kingdom principle that I call the boomerang effect. And uh, uh, it's also known though, I would say in the larger body of Christ, people often talk about the law of reciprocity. And uh, sometimes you hear about the law of sowing and reaping. And uh, those would all be a ways of saying the same thing pretty much, the law of sowing and reaping. So God has created things. Psalm 19, we started to allude to creation and covenant. The heavens are declaring the glory of God and the firmament declares his handiwork. Okay, so in, uh, in what Psalm 19 is about, the first six verses are about a concept that theologians call general revelation. In creation and in, in the way you were created, God has created clues for himself. So every person knows there is a God. Even atheists know there is a God. Uh, every person has a conscience, however, because of our sinful nature, that conscience gets defiled over time, and we make excuses or justifications, blame shifting, and so forth, and it gets calloused, and it starts convicting us about things that God doesn't care anything about, and it, uh, and then it w- w- doesn't convict us about things God actually cares about, and, and so it becomes uh, dysfunctional. Uh, that's just the nature of sin. But in the natural, there is always clues to the spiritual. The problem for us is that it takes being born again, and it takes your spirit being re- regenerated, and therefore it takes the presence of the Holy Spirit and the study of Scripture to see what theologians call special re- revelation. And frankly, it takes that to even discern right the principles called, uh, that, are, uh, that are contained in general revelation. But uh, God has so worked the world that there are physical laws that are clues to his spiritual laws. Okay, so if you study science, uh, one of the tragedies of modern science, it was born out of a Reformation worldview, was born out of a creationist worldview, and it got its impetus from the idea that there's one God and there's one uh, interrelated set of truth in that, uh, in that by, by seeking and studying science, we can understand God. Now, science divorced itself from God and, after Darwinism, and in a, in a sense, it uh, was a way of just going back to blindness. In the, interestingly, uh, before, long before Darwin, there was a movement called the Enlightenment, which was man actually choosing to go back to darkness from a biblical point of view. Now, uh, all that's just to say that there are laws in the physical and they're immutable. Uh, Every once in a while I used to hear more about this kind of thing in the 70s, some unfortunate young person, some maybe an old person sometimes, would uh, do LSD and uh, under the influence of some powerful drug think they could fly off a building only to find out the law of of gravity was immutable. So, uh, and you would see that in the news once in a while and so forth. So just because you're not aware of a physical law or a spiritual law does not mean it's not working. It's always working. Gravity is always exercising its force on you. And today I wanna talk about a spiritual law that is just as pervasive. And that is that every seed brings forth its own kind. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Um, I had actually considered putting this teaching in the what we're doing right now in the Kingdom of God series. If you recall, it's been a while since we've been able to get at that. But in chapter 3, we're looking at major themes that run through the whole Bible. And this one could be included as a major theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. And that, therefore, it runs throughout the whole creation. This is in you. This is acting upon you. This is your daily reality. Whether you, to whatever degree you see it or not, it's still your daily reality. Okay, so this principle is immutable. And uh, let's go to, uh, let's try just verse 11 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let the earth sprout Vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit, trees bearing fruit uh, in any old way they want. Oh, wait, that's the uh, modern trans No, after their kind. Every seed brings forth that after its kind. You cannot get apples from an orange seeds. It's immutable. Um, We are about to have four uh, babies in our church and every one of them will look a little bit like their mom and a little bit like their dad. (laughs) And, uh, it's immutable. Every seed brings forth after its own kind. So, and people have debates, Oh, they have, I think it looks, you know, looks like the dad. No, 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 it looks like the mom. Well, you, it's amazing how you can always see both parents in each kid. So, um, The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind. Then you jump down and uh, after God made the two great lights, and then in verse 20, he made the uh, waters teeming with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly in the expanses above, et cetera, et cetera. And guess what? The sea monsters and every living creature that moves with the water swarmed after their own kind. Much to John Gray's delight, Alaskan salmon brought forth Alaskan salmon not tuna, <laughs> and certainly not mackerel. Uh, <laughs> um, every seed brings forth fruit after its own kind. So when God told man to be fruitful and multiply, look down in verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and uh, et cetera. And uh, man was made in the image of God, and therefore man produces offspring that are made in the image of God. It's immutable, right? And this principle runs throughout the whole creation. Okay, so in the spiritual, there's a, a law called the law of reciprocity. I, again, like to call it a boomerang effect. Some of you, I boomerangs probably aren't as well known. Uh, when I was a kid, there there was often lots of cartoons that featured boomerangs, like Wile E. Coyote would send to the Acme such and such company to, to uh, get a boomerang or whatever. And a boomerang is a flat, curved, usually wooden missile, configured so that when it's hurled, it returns to the thrower. Uh, A boomerang is is also defined, this is dictionary definitions, is a statement, of course, of action that backfires. This is from some old notes that I dug out. Uh, To have the opposite effect, to boomerang, or to use it as a verb, is to have the opposite effect from the one intended, to backfire. okay. So here, here's some modern expressions of the boomerang. People will say, don't forget, when you point your finger at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you, right? Uh, and people will say, in, in, usually in a positive way, right back at you when you, you know, thanks for doing that. You're the greatest, right back at you. You're the greatest too. Okay, um, I'm rubber, you're glue. Where's Rebecca? She, uh, she's downstairs. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you any anyone ever heard that you probably did in first grade uh <laughs> what goes around comes around uh you have to give to get garbage in equals garbage out momentum inertia ang- uh the angle of incidence equals the angle of reflection right okay so now um this idea is taught, unfortunately, most often by uh, Christian ministries that are trying to get your money, <laughs> and they call it the law of reciprocity, so if you give, you'll get. Um, they will often read Luke 6:38, given it'll be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Proverbs 19, 17, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good, good deed. Uh, now, I actually first started thinking about um, talking about this. I guess it was on Monday. Uh, if I And uh, I, uh, in my regular Bible readings, I'm in Matthew right now. And uh, let's turn to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 7. Jesus says this principle over and over and over. But the one I like the best is in verse 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy right James 2:13 let's let's keep keep your finger on Matthew we're going to be focusing I guess I'm going to take the back of that off uh my bible's falling apart it's an old one uh we're going to be focusing on Matthew 7 in just a minute James 2:13 says For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what both Jesus and James are saying is when you give mercy, the angle of incidence equals the angle of reflection, mercy will come back to you. One of the uh, privileges I've had in the last few years is God has brought uh, several people in my life that uh, that through Bible study over a period of time, they came to Christ, but they were really tough cases in a lot of ways and uh, and required going back to the gospel, going back to the gospel, going back to the gospel, and being reminded of the depth of human sin and how in our sin nature we see the logs in other people's eyes and, and when we need to be taking the speck out of our eyes. And uh, it helped me realize that part of spiritual growth is to be more focused on the logs in your eyes than the specks in everyone else's eyes. And when God works that in you by his grace, uh, you can be more gracious to others. You will actually know in any church or any group of Christians or any individual, uh, Christian organizations, like a Christian basketball team from a high school or something, will either have this in it or not. But uh, to the degree you've experienced God's mercy, to that degree, you'll give God's mercy. But to the degree you have given God's mercy, to that degree, you'll experience God's mercy. It's kind of a, it's uh, that, in logic, you call that circular reasoning. And uh, if you actually... Uh, if we had time, I could demonstrate that all reasoning is circular, and uh, there's no such thing as non-circular reasoning. But which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. But what I kind of I was uh, when I read Matthew seven this this week, it really made me uh, want to think about um, just uh, encouraging us that you cannot do this in yourself. Uh, a favorite psalm of mine. I don't, I didn't have time to uh, look it up, so you can just trust me. It's in there, like in Hebrews when he goes somewhere, it is written. But uh, the psalmist says, "Lord, put a guard over my mouth." Ever prayed that kind of thing? <laughs> I pray that often. <laughs> like, Lord. Do some work in me in such a way is that the Holy Spirit will give me reminders. Don't say the first thing that pops in your head. (laughs) You know, we all know people who say the first thing that pops in their head. We call that immature or foolishness. Uh, And, uh, you know, most of us have a filter where we go, "Eh, maybe I better not say that now, or maybe I better not say that in this way and so forth. Right. Likewise, uh, in an analogy with that, you really have to begin to pray, God, help me be merciful. Because you can't do it in and of yourself. The natural-minded man cannot understand the things of God, nor can the natural-minded man do the things of God. So uh, if you just say, I'm going to try harder to be merciful, you're not going to accomplish it. And it's as simple as this. All of our sin natures uh, are judgmental, critical, too harsh. We tend to evaluate ourselves as more righteous. Uh, They do surveys that say 80% of people consider themselves more righteous than other people. Now, Larry's chuckle probably uh, indicates uh, that he realizes right off that math doesn't work very well, does it? (laughs) Uh, but that has actually uh, I had a wonderful gospel oriented Bible study this week uh, from 7 a.m to 10 a.m on uh, Thursday with uh, Big Bad John Bradbury, whose birthday is today. Uh, hopefully he'll be at the second meeting. And um, we, we talked all about that. Um, it's just our basic nature when we're in the natural when before we come to Christ to believe we're a pretty good person. Uh I took surveys of this kind of thing when I was teaching at Sinclair, and almost everyone thinks they're a pretty good person. Murderers think they're pretty good people. They do. They think they have pretty good reasons for who they murdered. <laughs> and maybe they even did the world a favor. Uh, all, no matter what a person is, they see themselves as basically good. In fact, The Holy Spirit came, John 16, 7, to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's only by the grace of the Holy Spirit that you can begin to see yourself as God sees you, which is so opposite God in character, motivation, attitude, that if he showed it to you all at once, you would die. And I don't mean that as an exaggeration or hyperbole. The truth of the matter is that's why in the Old Testament, uh, when Moses wanted to see God, God says, "No one could see me and live." If you saw the purity of God all at once, and therefore you had an experience like Peter has in Luke chapter five, where Peter, uh, after he Jesus tells him, you know he's fished all night, he's a fisherman. By the way, these guys grew up knowing Jesus. They traveled in the caravans to been to Jerusalem at the at the three major festivals and so forth. They were from a nearby town. He was from Nazareth. They were from Capernaum. They they knew Jesus. Right? And the, and this is after they were disciples of John the Baptist and this is after Jesus presents himself to John the Baptist for, and 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 John points out to Peter and Andrew and James and John, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're beginning to understand to some degree who he is. That's why when this carpenter guy tells them to go let their nets back out again, Matthew or Peter answers and said, Lord, we fished all night. He said, Lord, I'm a fisherman. I fished all night. I know where the fish are at the different times of day. I know when to fish the deeps. I know when to fish the shallows. You don't know anything about fishing, but I do know who John said you were. So at your bidding, Lord, he says, Lord, uh, we will do it. So then when he does it, they catch such a catch of fish that he sees the glory of God. They have to call uh, James and John and other boats to help bring in the harvest. And, you know, there's sermons being always being said about that. But, you know, we like to talk about how impulsive Peter was. One of the things I like about Peter's impulsiveness is it's based on when he sees something in the spirit. He clearly gets the glory of God, and he realizes this. All these fish mean nothing. This guy has all the fish. He made the fish. He controls their behavior. Th- this miracle is just a demonstration of his glory. So G- Peter forgets about getting the rest of the fish. I, I, uh, of course, you'll ha- we'll have to find a go- way to heaven to find out if I'm correct on this theory or not. But I actually think that probably when Peter jumped in in the water and started swimming over to the shore. Some of the others were like, hey, Peter, we're, what are you doing? We got to get these fish in. <laughs> they probably thought he was being irresponsible. In fact, one of the things you'll find out is, you step deeper into the things of the Lord, you will always get, God will allow, he ordains, even Christians, uh, sometimes your parents, what, whatever, but he'll... There will be people that God puts in your life that think you're going too far. You should get back onto your natural responsibilities. You're spending way too much time seeking the Lord or whatever. So Peter goes over and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Because the point is, whenever you see God, you see yourself in contrast. Right? Isaiah 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple and the angels crying out the trifold, holy, holy, holy. And he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Before God begins to draw you to the truth and open your eyes when we are still blind, we think we're pretty good people. Because we only have our own arbitrary standards at that point, right? And we are comparing ourselves from our own arbitrary standards point of view to other people. But when God begins to open your eyes, you begin to be, have his standards, the law of God. And you begin to be, see yourself in the light of him. And when you do, you fall down at Jesus' feet and you say, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You've got the wrong guy here. You know you're starting to really progress in truth. When you begin to realize uh, there's nothing good in you, and God didn't get any deal when He drew drew you into the kingdom, many a young Christian, especially if God works in their life in such a way that they're really zealous and they're growing a lot and so forth, they're like, they're like, hmm, you know, I'm a pretty good brother in this church, you know, I everyone else tithes 10% i tie 20%. i i'm everyone else comes to the meetings i'm there an hour before the meetings. Uh, you know i you know and and you begin to think you're wrongly but when you see the lord you see yourself rightly, right? now that becomes the basis of extending mercy to others. and you can actually know if you have mercy in you by what is constantly coming out of you when you evaluate other people. You know people don't really know the Lord when they're always harsh and critical. Now, the humanistic, I got to warn you against two cautions here. One is it's not necessarily merciful to dismiss sin and gloss over sin and to say it's nothing. That's not merciful. True mercy is to acknowledge the, uh, the violation of God's law or character in yourself or others. That is to continue to speak truth, but to speak it in love with grace and kindness. And the, the, all, if, if you look at truth, truth is always the keeping of two divine tensions that seem on the surface to be par- paradoxical, but they're not antithetical. So what you what you get is you get some people who think, well, in the name of mercy, any behavior is is OK. What we just need to understand when we deal with a serial killer is what a bad day he was having and the bad environment. He came and we and it's really not so bad. <laughs> right. And uh, um, that can be a real mistake. But the opposite mistake, and this is particularly um, a temptation, uh, a a thing that that religious people tend to struggle with, is to be too harsh and judgmental toward others, always taking the speck out of their eye and not noticing the log in your eye. I believe my youngest daughter is going to be visiting us today today. she was up and took a shower before me, so uh, she has a tendency to take a while to make makeup and so forth. But um, w- uh, there was a night when she was working at Steak and Shake, back when she used to just work in Steak and Shake, Dayton. And there was a particular Christian group who I will not say the name of the group, but it's, it's an extremely fundamentalist group. And it's an extremely legalistic group. And they were having their, uh, they were having their national convention. In Dayton at the Dayton Convention Center. Now, most people who would like, uh, we used to go to this one place in in uh, in Huber Heights, called at the time when it's out of business now called Pisanello's Pizza because they had whole wheat dough pizza and I, I liked it. And uh, but we used to uh, order around thirty-five pizzas on a Friday night, <laughs> and so we would call on Tuesday with an estimate of how many pizzas we would need, we would even send someone there with like a $150 deposit. And we would explain about what time we thought we would show up and approximately how many people we would have. And anybody who wouldn't do that, uh, that's going descending on some, you know, I, you know, if you're going to McDonald's and, you, and you're going to bring 13 of you, No big deal. But if you're going to bring 130, if you have the opportunity to let them know in advance, that would probably be smart, right? So these people descended on uh, Steak and Shake with 80-some people all at once, with no advance notice, and they uh, were already kind of short-staffed, some people hadn't shown up, because of course, if you work in that kind of industry, you know that you're always working with some people that are not so reliable. And so the cooks, the waitresses, they were just working as hard and fast as they could and trying to get the orders out and so forth. But, of course, the service was pretty slow, and it was kind of bad. And so uh, this one lady, uh, who was tremendously upset about it, began to walk from table to table and say, this is inexcusable. how long it's taken to get these orders out and so forth, and began to convince the others that, that that was unexcusable. And she convinced all of them to leave without paying their bill. Now, this was a Christian group that everyone that was working there knew they were a Christian group, and they knew that they were in Dayton because of their Christian convention. This is why, here's, here's, here, just to t- t- tell you, this story actually confirmed this in my heart. I generally t- uh, tip 20% if the service is bad and I'm really mad. <laughs> and if it's good, I tip at least 50%. Why? Because, first of all, those pe- places don't pay these people enough. And secondly, they know from your conversation that you're Christians. And their understanding of how gracious God is 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 not going to be by the great points you were making between the salad and the main entree, (laughs) but it's going to be by the tip you leave. And guess what? Maybe the service was bad, but you don't know if they had a bad day. They're new. It's not necessarily their fault. The, the corporation has these corporations have a way of scheduling way too few servers uh, because that increases their profits. So take that into account. Right. But all I'm saying, you know, I, I, is expand that to your whole life. You know, when I get a bill, if I'm not happy with whether the job was done or not, I just I generally pay it anyway. Even while I'm saying, I wish it had been this way or that way. So let's look at some verses along these lines. Um, Matthew uh, 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. John did a whole teaching on that. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I probably want to go ahead and share a little of my own personal sins here. Well, You're not supposed to do that when you're a pastor, but I like doing it. Because, you know, we all have the same sin nature. So I was very on fire, young man. When I was about one year in Christ, and my the summer before my sophomore year, which would have been my second year of being a Christian, I studied the Word all summer and read Christian books. And for some reason, the Lord seemed to be directing me to books about forgiving people and the importance of this, that if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I still remember uh, this Lutheran nun named Basilia Schlink, who I later looked up her back now that you can Google. It was just a few years ago. I looked up her bio, but she, uh, amazing, amazing woman of God, uh, stayed in Germany through the whole Nazi occupation thing. And well, anyway, you should read her story sometime. Tremendous. Uh, But she, you know, I I read her book on forgiveness and I forget who else. uh, Bob Mumford had a book on forgiveness. And it just seemed like the Lord was dealing with me about the need to forgive. Now, Here's something I I want to, uh, I wish I could like have sound effects, like Kramer versus that Kramer guy when he pushes the buttons. I wish I could have something that goes off and goes, bang, 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 bang. Pay attention to this, okay? Uh, When God is emphasizing something in your life like that, it's because you don't have it in your character and you're about to be tested in such a way that you have an opportunity to build it into your character. So because we see things from such natural-minded, humanistic perspectives, we see the temptations and the struggles and so forth as negatives, when in fact it's the love gift of God to you, because all character, like muscle, is built by overcoming resistance. You know, I saw Jason at the... what's that's that place planet fitness yesterday. And, uh, it was interesting that Jason wasn't very sociable because he only had so much time and he had to get that workout. And I could, I could tell he was totally in the, I got 45 minutes and I got an hour's worth of workout to do and I'm not stopping to talk to anybody. So, uh, you know, um, I'm really, I always, I love, uh, you know, Setting a new record each time you 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 grow by overcoming resistance, you know so yesterday, I went a little over an hour on the treadmill, and earlier in the week I went seventy five minutes an hour and fifteen minutes, but each time i 'm getting my heart rate up to a new high now there 's limits at my age of that, but I went you know got it up to one twenty nine yesterday, and I stayed for over forty minutes above one twenty what that might mean something to you if you study heart rates for ages and stuff but that's pretty good for my age and so uh you know you you have to have resistance for anything so here's a here's another psalm that's in there somewhere that you should write down and you uh if you're taking notes I hope you are and you should look this up this week and you probably should memorize this one i've forgotten the reference but it the i've not forgotten the, the verse at all every word of god is tried or refined as silver seven times. So if the Lord speaks something to you, guess what? You're really going to go through some troubles about this. (laughs) Okay. If the Lord is dealing with you about your vocation or your work ethic, guess what? He's going to give you a tough job. If he's dealing with you about your study habits, you're going to need to... uh, Put into practical effect some things about your study habits and, and take them to another level. So this my sophomore year, I, I should have known this, but I was one year old in the Lord. And so guess what? I had agreed to have a roommate. I won't mention his name because Larry probably remembers still who he was. And uh, uh, I didn't know the guy very well. And he was a freshman and I was a sophomore. And he was a tremendous brainiac. He graduated in three years with a 4.0. We took a philosophy class together, which I eked out an A, like 90.2% or something. And he got 100%. And, uh, <laughs> but he was a very difficult person to live with. And he brought a whole family that was difficult to live with. I worked in, as a night guard till 6.30. I got off at 6, so I'd get to bed at 6.30, and, that, and I'd have to get up at 8.30 for my 9 o'clock class. So, and I you know, was young. I could do it. But um, he had an 8 o'clock class. And not only was his alarm obnoxiously loud, but he would leave at 10 minutes to 8, in you know, right in the middle of my sleep, slamming the door. And then at 10 after 8, every day, his mother called. <laughs> and back then, the uh, the phones were in the dorms were so loud, you could not possibly have slept through them. And uh, so I had to jump out of bed, go to the other side of the room, and patiently explain To uh, Mrs. So-and-so that, no, like we said yesterday, your son leaves every day at 10 minutes to 8. And therefore, at 10 minutes after 8, he's not there. And I only have two hours a day to sleep, uh, you know, because I'm working my way through college. And so uh, I would really appreciate it if you didn't call at 10 minutes after 8. And then I knew we would have the same discussion the next morning. And we did. (laughs) Well, there were other things that he, you know, he never washed his shoes and he smelled bad. And all kind of, he was a hard guy to live with. And guess what? I had just spent the previous summer uh, studying about why you need to be quick to forgive. And I should have seen it coming. Now, as a pastor, if someone tells me the Lord's been showing me this and this and that, I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) I can see it coming. (laughs) God blesses you and afflicts you with roommates and uh, bosses and spouses and kids and uh, people that sit by you at church just according to what you need. And that hard person to get along with is just what you need to become more Christ-like. Well, I didn't do very well on that lesson. <laughs> uh, by about halfway through the year, I was fantasizing about beating him up. <laughs> no, I never did beat him up, but I did fantasize about it a lot. And... Uh, and I even blew my testimony to the point where I went to talk to the unbeliever RA about how difficult the situation was and that I wanted to move to a new roommate. And he was like, I thought all you guys were Christians. You all had community and you loved each other and so forth. I'm like, "Uh, I guess I sort of blew that one, didn't I? So, and interestingly enough, all sorts of temptations that, that had, evaporated from my life began to come back because if you don't forgive you're cutting yourself off from grace you have to always be gracious to to get grace it's an immutable principle what i'm trying to make sure we are convinced of today that you can't skirt around this you have no choice but to to cry out to god to become a merciful and quick-to-forgive person. And if you do not, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Because if you are critical and harsh, that boomerang will come back and hit you in the head. And if you are merciful and forgiving, slow to anger, quick to forgive, uh, that, that will come back on you. So uh, let's look in Matthew 7 real quick. Do not judge lest you be judged. Now the word there, there's, the world is always quoting that verse to you. It, and, and remember that the extreme that we said that's wrong is when you just don't evaluate anything as wrong or sinful. You have to know that it's wrong or sinful. But you don't have to condemn and the, the Greek there really means do not condemn. Okay. I don't want you to give me a pass on whatever sins and struggles you see in me. And you will. I am you know, I'm not super pastor. I don't have like any S or cape or anything. Uh, I'm just a sinner. I'm probably have that S. Sinner. <laughs> Maybe a super sinner. I don't know. Um For in the way you condemn, you'll be judged. By your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your eye? See, if your standard of measure is right away to be quick to forgive, to be quick to to offer grace, that doesn't mean you don't identify what it really is. Because that's actually not mercy. Mercy. True mercy understands who God is and understands the immutableness of God's law. And true mercy is uh, just told your stick and shake short story Uh, from the people who uh, came in with like 80 people. And uh, if so, true mercy extends mercy. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? The more mercy you receive from God, you know, someone who's not very merciful just hasn't begun to see themselves in much reality yet. They still think they're a pretty good person. <laughs> Which is, when, the more you see from God's perspective, that's actually kind of absurdly laughable. If we really begin to understand the distance between God's holiness and, and uh, our lack of holiness, you could not be anything but Merciful. How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye? And behold, uh King James says a plank. The log is in your eye. You hypocrite. A hypocrite comes from the Greek word hoop and they were the kinds of mask that you, you know when you see drama, you see the happy mask and the sad mask and so forth. That's a hoopacrisis. That's a that's a false mask, a false character. That's uh when you uh you know are abusive to your wife and kids all the way to church. And then when you get there, you just say, how are you doing, brother? Isn't God good? And stuff like that. Okay. That's Crisis. Now, jump down to, uh, let's see, verse um, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothes, but inwardly are ravenous wolves and so forth. Uh, jump to verse 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every, every, verse 17, every tree bears fruit after its kind and so forth. That principle is through, that we read in Genesis 1 is in the whole universe, and it's immutable. So what you give, you get. Let's look at some other expressions of it. Jesus says it all over in Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father. There's another example of the same principle in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Why do you think the world wants to have so much pressure for you not to uh identify with Christ fully. Why do you think the uh Christian life starts with a very public identification with Christ called water baptism? I love when we have the water baptisms out at uh, Eastwood Lake there and stuff because there's, you know, like there's like 30 or 40 Christians at least and there's uh you know there's uh but there's always some fishermen and some guys drinking Bud Lights and and uh, what have you? And and they're always looking at like, what are these people doing? These Jesus freaks, and, you know. Um, I have a no, never mind. We won't go there. So uh, Matthew ten forty one and forty two. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. The entire Bible states the boomerang prince effect, the law of reciprocity, and also called the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. I I wrote this little silly song one time that I used to play on my guitar badly. Um, Sow a thought. And you'll reap in action. Uh, So in action, you'll reap a course. So a course, you reap a destiny. Every seed brings forth its own kind. Romans 2.1, Paul brings up this theme, says, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. One of the things you'll notice that will help you if you can get this principle with it you always have a tendency to judge most harshly that which you have the most problem with. And you will find that any, this has been one of the most painful lessons of my entire Christian walk. Cause I've been seeking the Lord. I hope you are because what it means to grow in Christ is to become, uh, this is, is a journey become more gracious, more merciful, receiving more grace, giving more grace. Uh, you know, the church of, unfortunately, in the current church environment, the church is not known for being gracious. And that the church is more known for the story I sh- shared about uh, stake and Shake. And that is a tragedy. Because we should be the dispensers of grace. We're the only ones that have received enough grace to understand grace. And again, grace is not saying it's, it's not sin, it's not right, or not evaluating it correctly, but it's not condemning it. And it's actually saying, there but by the grace of God go I. Listen to this one, Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if any man is caught or overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So you can tell who's spiritual because when someone says, well, I have, I'm whatever, internet pornography addicted, I'm I'm a chainsaw killer, uh, you know, uh, chain, I rob banks, uh, whatever their problem is, I'm full of fears, insecurities, or so forth. You recognize that there but by the grace of God go you. If you have any level of victory in any of these areas, which often, sometimes you they might, you might say, gee, I got the same problem. Let's pray for each other. <laughs> but if you have any level of Christ-likeness, it's because the grace of God that's worked in you over time. And you know that you know that when your immediate response is graciousness. So... John seven twenty four. do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. I'm past my time, but I want to make one last point. I make this all the time. Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. If you haven't really given some thought uh, to those verses several times, then you're probably not respecting the fact that I give these messages at all. Uh, because I say over and over, and if you, if you haven't turned there a few times during the week and thought about these verses, then you really haven't been paying attention. Our tendency is to just want to try harder. But Hebrews 4 says, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. The best thing you can do whenever you hear truth is just first of all, start by saying, I'm not that. So you get what I'm saying? And if you can learn to do that, and you appeal to God for grace, then you get on the right side of the cross all the time. You get on the right side of humility all the time, and you get on the right side of graciousness all the time. Amen.